Our scripture lesson tonight is found in Hebrew, I'm sorry, in Ephesians chapter number 3. Ephesians chapter number 3. Just a warm, a heartwarming prayer, but it's, it's really a challenge to the thinking to, and to the mind uh, to read to, through this tremendous prayer. The superlatives in here, the things, the various thoughts that are, that are all joined together in this brief text of scripture are amazing, challenging, and they are wonderful. Ephesians chapter 3, we begin with verse number 14, and we'll read through the end of the chapter. <clears throat> Paul the Apostle speaking, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in the inner man so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and you being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly, beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us, to him be the glory in the church, and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Amen. All right, we're going to have an interesting time tonight talking about the connections in the church, the joints that hold us all together. And uh, we'll be specifically tonight looking at the joint between Jesus Christ the head and the rest of the body. And so we'll get into that, and then uh, next week we'll get into the joints between each of the church members, uh, one with another. But before we do that, I want to remind our men one last time, and I do have this thing right side up, I know this time, uh, <laughs> for the men's retreat, men... Uh, we had a wonderful prayer uh, breakfast last Sunday or last Saturday with about 20 guys showing up. But uh, we've got five guys, I think six guys may be going to the men's retreat, and a couple of others have said they want to go. Now, that's a week from tomorrow, so if you have not signed up, you better get online at wolfmountain.org and get yourself registered. And we'll try to save you a spot in the church van. I think we've got enough room. We'll leave around noon a week from tomorrow, and we'll get back sometime Saturday. And uh, on Monday, Joel Vasa and I took a little trip up in my little sports car. Uh, we went to a funeral for Paul Hayes and uh, and uh, Rosario uh, Rodriguez, who, uh, Rosario, I think Hayes, I can't remember her last name, I think it's Hayes, she may have kept her maiden name. But uh, anyway, uh, Paul passed away after six and a half years with cancer. He used to go to our church, and, uh, and we went and heard a wonderful gospel message at that uh, funeral. Pastor Ron Perry did a beautiful job of sharing the gospel with the, the mayor and several city council members who were there, and a group of about 200 people that gathered there, all masked and separated socially and, and all of that, and a, and a really good service. And then Lydia Ryan was able to give a testimony about how she was able to lead, Christ, lead Paul to Christ. What a blessing that service was. And then afterwards, we went by to go see an old deacon of our church, a lifetime deacon, um, and uh, and he was not in. Ed Thomas was not in, and uh, we left a note with him, made a phone call to him, 
And hopefully, men, if you go with us to the men's retreat, we may pop in. It's not too far out of the way to go up and see uh, Ed for just a minute to at least wave at him through the window or something. But I know that would be an encouragement to him, and I think you'd be blessed by seeing him. So, men, if you haven't registered, please register. I know a couple of you have been on the fence. And uh, also, you need to know that when we get up there, they are putting all of the people from our church into one cabin. You won't be mixing with other people. They're going to have some social distancing protocols in place so that everybody's careful and safe. And remember, they got 600 acres to run around. If you get, you feel like you're getting too close to somebody, you you got plenty of places to go. So, and uh, bring your mask and uh, and be prepared for that accordingly. So that's a week from tomorrow, the men's retreat, and I hope that we'll have a good crowd that are going, a good group that are going with us. Um, all right, so now turn in your, in your Bibles back to Ephesians chapter 4. Pastor read a text that we're going to get into, but before we do that, I want to just kind of review. We have, we're getting close to the end. I think we might have two or three, maybe four at the most lessons left in our study of the thriving church. And uh, a thriving church is a growing church. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 15 and 16 says, Speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual part causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. And that's kind of where we're going tonight, talking about the joints that hold the body together. But let's review what it takes to be a growing church by just going back through Ephesians chapter 4 and the chapters that we've studied in the past. I just want to make a comment and read some scripture and help you to see how this all fits together for the growth of a thriving church. First of all, a church must be working together in unity. Verses 1 through 3, Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling, with which you've been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So the beginning of this uh, idea of a thriving church is to start off by just simply be unified with one another and working at it. We can't all be going different directions. Then a church must be committed to some basic foundational truths. You can't be united if you don't have something that you agree on. Verses 4 through 6 talk about the fact that we've got to agree on the fact that there's one body, the church. There's one spirit, the Holy Spirit. There's one hope of our calling, the salvation that we find through Jesus. One Lord of the church, Jesus Christ himself. Uh, one faith, the doctrines that are taught in the Word of God, not man-made doctrines or, or, or emotional things that we come up with. One baptism, the baptism that identifies us with the local church. One God and Father of all, who's over all and through all and in all. And that's the one true God of the Bible. And we can't be united if we don't believe those basics. There's no way we can be united. If you believe in Muhammad and you believe in uh, Buddha and you believe in Jesus, we, we can't get together all in the same church. That's just not going to happen. We have to come to grips with the doctrines of the scripture in order to be able to have unity and therefore growth in the church. You've got to be committed to some basic foundational truths. Thirdly, a church must utilize all of the spiritual gifts that uh, it receives from the ascended Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ gave each of us gifts. It says in verses 7 and 8, uh, to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. And then uh, it says that he gave gifts to men. So we've all been given a gift in the local church to be used for the benefit of the entire church. 
And that gift came from the Lord Jesus Christ, who it's ultimately his church, and he wants those gifts to be used in his church. Fourthly, uh, we also need a, pa a church needs a pastor who can tie all this together and help, help the uh, church grow together. He equips and trains and directs the membership. It says in verse 11 and 12, He gave some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints of the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. So the pastor of the local church ties everything together and gives the church a specific direction for that locality where God puts all these Christians uh, to work together. And then we need to see that a church needs active members who are using those gifts for the benefit of others in the church, for the glory of the Lord, for the work of ministry. It says in verse 12 that, that the pastor is to help the, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. I think sometimes we think the pastor is supposed to do all the work and the saints are just supposed to be there to enjoy it. But no, we're all supposed to be including our part uh, in order to be able to get this done uh, for the glory of the Lord. Next, a thriving church is known for a desire to model grace and truth. Oh, and we spent quite a bit of time about how Jesus Christ modeled grace and truth as he witnessed to unsaved people and as he ministered to Christians who were in times of need, like Mary and Martha at the death of their brother Lazarus. It says in verses 13 and 14, Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of of Christ. As a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. We're, we're supposed to get solid by following after the Lord Jesus Christ and being like him and living in this grace and truth mode where we minister to every, every person who has a need. In John chapter 1 verse 17, we're reminded that grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. And as we mature to be like the Lord Jesus Christ, we will become more gracious and unafraid to share truth with those who need to hear it. Then a thriving church also knows how to express God's truth with Christ-like love. And we spent uh, 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 last week talking about that, probably crammed in a little bit too much material at one w in one lesson. But the idea there is that we are to be speaking the truth in love. And that's kind of really the core of what we're supposed to be doing in our ministry. And by doing that, we're to grow up in all aspects unto him who is ahead, even Christ. That's verse 15 of Ephesians chapter 4. So now, as we get close to the end of this section that deals with growth in the church in Ephesians chapter 4, we're moving into the idea of the joints that hold everything together. Joints. We don't think about them too often, but, but they're very, very important. In a thriving local church, the members must be properly connected together. First, we need to be connected to the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the head. And then we need to be connected to each other. Tonight, we're going to focus on the connection that we have with Jesus Christ. We're to grow up, verses 15 and 16, we're to grow up in all aspect, aspects unto him who is the head, even Christ from whom the whole body being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causing the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. 
Now, we can look at each other and say, well, you have this gift and you have that gift and you do this ministry and you do that ministry and you do the, you're able to do the preaching and I can't preach, but I can do something else in the church and we can find all these different things that we can bring to the church. Maybe you're just nothing else but a good listener or a nursery worker. You're the person that takes out the trash. But somebody's got to hold all of this together and it's all got to fit together and it's got to, it's got to coordinate with one another. And that's what these joints do. They kind of hold it all together. If we look at all the body parts of a, of a human being separately, like in the picture that I've given you in this, on that page, uh, page four in your notes, that guy's standing there holding a, a skull. That's kind, of, that's kind of gruesome, isn't it? Uh, the body parts by themselves are kind of ugly, and they don't function very well by themselves. <laughs> that skull sitting there just looking at that guy, he doesn't even have eyeballs in it or a nose to smell him. It's not really functioning very well. But when we have to join, put all these things together and tie them together, and that is the connection that we're trying to talk about. The need tonight, the, t the title of the lesson is Critical Connections. You know, joints are sometimes ignored. I know Pastor isn't ignoring joints right now. I mean, he's had recently had some surgery on his hip in it, and when that joint wasn't working right, he knew it, and he told everybody about it. We all knew about it. But we're glad it's doing better now. But we, we, when they're working like they're supposed to be, I don't even think about the joints in my fingers, the joints in my wrist, the joints in my elbows and shoulder, and even the ribs that move a little bit once in a while. I don't even think about those things because everything's working right now. Uh, but I do know a man who's, whose wrist was hurting him so bad. He had so much arthritis in his wrist that, that when you go to shake his hand, it just hurt him so bad. He actually had all of those joints fused together. And then when you go to shake his hand now, he kind of puts his arm around a little bit different and it's a little hard to know what to do because you don't want to hurt him. I know another man whose joints didn't quite grow right and his arms didn't quite grow right and those, those joints, and, and he can function but not as well as he should. And so we want to make sure that we have the right kind of joints that are working properly in order to be able to accomplish everything that God wants us to accomplish as a local church. We're to be fitted together and held together by what every joint supplies. And the Lord Jesus Christ holds all these things together. Now, again, this is going to be, this is a one chapter in his book. It's chapter 12 in Dean Taylor's book. But we're going to divide it into two lessons, one for this week and one for next week. Tonight we're going to talk about a very critical connection, though. And that is the connection between Jesus Christ, the head of the body, and then the rest of the body. Uh, next week we'll look at how all the rest of the body kind of fits together. But boy, without that first connection, that connection between Jesus Christ, the head, and the rest of the body, the body cannot function at all. Every individual Christian has a relationship with Jesus Christ. The toe is related to the head. The fingers are related to the head. The liver is related to the head. Without the, the, the brain tells everything else what to do. The head tells everything else in the body how to function. But yet, it's better when they all coordinate and are all tied together with the Lord. Every individual has a relationship with Christ. However, the corporate relationship, or that's the entire body working together, of the church has with Christ is also very important. Now, again, in your notes, you can follow along, and you can see that there's an objective and a subjective part of this, this unity that we have with the Lord, this, this connection that we have, this relationship we have with the Lord Jesus Christ. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 22, He, God, put all things in subjection under His, Jesus Christ's feet, and gave Him as head over all things to the church, which is His body, the fullness of Him, who fills all in all. 
in Colossians chapter 1, verse 17 and 18, it says, He, Jesus Christ, is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. He is also head of the body, the church, and He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that He Himself will come to have first place in everything. You know, the moment that you accept Jesus Christ as Savior, Jesus Christ becomes objectively your head. You become part of the body of Christ. He objectively is the one who's going to keep you saved and hold you together. He's the one who's going to, uh, to do all of that. But there's a subjective side to this thing. And that is where, in the objective side, Christ does it all. He's the one who keeps us saved. In John chapter 10, verse 28, it says, I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. He holds on to us, and we are his objectively the moment that we accept Jesus Christ as Savior. And as such, our local church is part of the body of Christ because it's made up of people who have accepted Jesus Christ. And so we're all part of this together, and he is our head. But subjectively, there's a part where we have to work at this to build the relationship and respond to the messages that Jesus gives to us. Uh, we were talking on the way up here, my wife and I were talking, and I said, you know, the objective part is where the head gives the instruction to the body and makes it work. And our brains are constantly telling our liver to function and our lungs to breathe and our nerves to feel and all those things. And there's no, you can't hear it, you know it, but it is happening because it's constant. The head is keeping the body functioning. But then there are those times when we have pain and we have, uh, we bump into things and then there, we, we sense things, we touch things, we feel things, we taste things. And that sends a message back to the brain so that it knows how to respond. That's a little bit of what we're talking about with this subjective side. The objective part is that Christ keeps us. The subjective part is that we need to be active in continuing to build this relationship with Christ. We must do our part to maintain a strong and growing relationship, and it takes work. Dean Taylor puts it this way, The church hears from Christ objectively, through the word of God as it is read and it is given to us and as we it is preached and taught and sung to us. And then the church expresses itself to Christ through corporate prayer. The church that prays together grows together. That is an important understanding. The church that prays together grows together, uh, stays together and grows together. This is why it's so important that we have corporate prayer. What is corporate prayer? It's when the church body unites itself in prayer. Most churches have a prayer list. Our church has a prayer list. Um, and, and when we go to those prayer lists, we look at those prayer lists. They, well, ours is on the back of our e-bulletin every week that we send out. And a lot of those requests deal with physical difficulties. I've got an upcoming surgery. I've, I'm healing from, a, from a, a difficulty that I have. A lot of them had to do with the physical maladies of life. Um, and that's important, and we should pray for those things. But when we get together for corporate prayer, there should be even more going on than that. We should be praying that God will bless our church, that God will grow our church, that there will be a spiritual dynamic that takes place in our church. We need to get past sometimes the aches and pains prayer list and get on to praying for God's strength and blessing on our church. Uh, for wisdom to know how to proceed, for the salvation of people in our neighborhoods and in our, in our city. We should be praying that God is glorified as we serve him together 
and those sort of things. We're going to focus on the idea of corporate prayer tonight. When our hearts are united in prayers like this, it's it's that time that God really will see will will deepen the relationship that we have with the Lord. It develops and 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 strengthens us, and and Christ is glorified as we rely upon Him for the strength to serve Him together as a church body. Just before I left my office this evening to come up here, I, I, I saw a quote by Leonard Ravenel, a, a, an evangelist from the past. He said, No man is greater than his prayer life. No woman is greater than her prayer life. And no church is greater than its corporate prayer life. It's important that we know how to pray together as a church. Pastor read the text from Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 to 21. Let me repeat this. Paul for this reason I bow my knees before the Father. He's leading the, ch the church at Ephesus in a, in a prayer that he wants them to be involved in, not just individually, but together as a church. There are several prayers recorded in the Bible. Many of them are very formal like this. They're models for us, preserved to teach us how to pray together as individuals, but also how to pray together as a church. This is Paul's prayer for the church. Most uh, times we pray privately, but as a church we're also called to this corporate prayer time. Corporate prayer. It's when we pray together. It's like when Pastor Kelly prayed at the beginning of our service even tonight. He was praying on behalf of all of us, and we should have been concentrating on the prayer that he was praying. And in our hearts being saying, saying Amen, I agree with that, that's right, yes, Amen. And, and uh, sometimes you'll hear people when someone else is praying and they'll say, be saying that amen. They're, they're, they're focusing on what is being said. They're, they're stating agreement with what is being said. Uh, their minds are not wandering and thinking about what's going on. I've been to prayer meetings where I felt like that sometimes the only reason somebody was listening to the guy who was praying in front of him was because so, he wanted to know when he was done so he could pray himself. But instead, we need to be entering into each other's prayers. We need to become a part of this and, uh, and, and uniting our hearts together. In, uh, on page 7 in your notes, you can see a, a guy who's kind of standing there, and he, he's got his hands held in prayer, and, but his eyes are open, and he's kind of looking around. And he, he's, This is not how we're supposed to be praying when we're praying together. Unfortunately, some Christians don't understand the value of corporate prayer. In a church service, when somebody is up in the pulpit praying, or somebody's been called upon to pray from the pew, uh, their minds are off somewhere else. When is this going to be over? I can't wait to get out on my boat on the lake. I can't. Uh, I've got. I've got something else. I've got to do. What's What's for dinner? I'm thinking about that, and we're not thinking about what's being said that moment during the prayer, and our hearts are not always united there. We're fidgeting and. And I've even seen people just nod off and have to be woken up after a time of corporate prayer, especially if the person who's praying uh, prays, a long, prays a long prayer. It's important that we unite our hearts together. And it's work. It is. It's hard. It's hard. It's hard to pray. We, we close our eyes and it's real easy to just, just, just go. I, I could do that right now and I won't. Uh, but it takes concentration. It takes effort. It takes discipline. It takes, it's, it's a lot easier not to pray than to pray. But declaring our dependence on God and petitioning Him to prosper the church is vital to a growing church body. Some people, when they hear about a prayer meeting at the church, they have always got something else to do. 
I hope that you're one of those people who sees the need to be at prayer. I know sometimes you can't make it to the man up breakfast or the, the women's fellowship or that day of prayer that we do a couple times a day a week. Some churches have Wednesday night prayer meetings. But I hope that you will make prayer a priority and praying together with other believers for the, for the unity and the strength and the growth of your church. Now, let's go back to that prayer that Pastor read in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 to 21. We're going to spend quite a bit of time in that tonight as we kind of dissect this prayer uh, that Paul prayed. And I want us to see the reason he prayed, the way he prayed, to whom he prayed, and for what he prayed. And uh, then we're going to look at what that is and all those things. So let's take a look at those things. The reason that Paul prayed. For, for Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14. For this reason, this is why I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every fa family in heaven and earth derives its names. What, what was the reason? You, you don't know that it was right there in those few verses. In, in order to know why, you kind of have to look, look ahead of that just a little bit. So turn the page back to Ephesians chapter 2. And uh, this tells you some of the things that led to Paul's prayer there in Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 14. In Ephesians chapter 2 verse 11 it says, Remember that formerly you in the Gentiles in the flesh who are called uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision, which is performed in the flesh by human hands, Remember that you at that time were separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who formerly were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who had made both groups into one body and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall by abolishing in his flesh the enmity which is in the law, which is the law of commandments contained in ordinances so that in himself he might make the two into one man, thus establishing peace, and might reconcile them both in one body to God through the cross, by it having put to death the enmity. And he came and preached peace to you who were far away, and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So part of the reason that Paul prayed corporately for this church at Ephesus was because he wanted to bring the Gentiles and the Jews together. Now you want to take two diverse groups and put them together. You take Gentiles and Jews and for centuries and millennium they were never together. The Jews went one way and everybody else went somewhere else. But in Christ the Jews and the Gentiles were put together. And uh, in a local church, you're going to take people from all parts of the country, sometimes from other countries, people with different color skin and different kind of backgrounds and all sorts of baggage that they have. But we all find commonality in the Lord Jesus Christ. And when we pray together, there's something about that. When we put our hearts together in prayer, all those differences go away. And we find a great unity and we begin to see growth that takes place. What a wonderful thing it is to unite your hearts together with someone else in prayer. Now, so that was part of the reason why Paul prayed. I prayed that from every family in heaven, God puts them all together. And then, go back to Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 14. It says, the way that Paul prayed. How did Paul pray? It said in verse 14, he says, I bow my knees. I bow my knees. Now, we don't often kneel before anybody unless we've dropped something. 
but what we're talking about here is 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 a humility and bowing before the Lord Jesus Christ, bowing before the head of our church, bowing before the God of all creation, and recognizing our dependence upon him. Now, bowing, kneeling down on the ground is not the only way to pray. You, you see in scripture where, where one place it says, lift holy hands unto the Lord. David lifted his eyes unto the hills when he was praying. There are other times where people were standing. I know one time Peter was praying and he was walking on water and he was praying, Lord, help me. And so it's not necessarily that we have to get down on our knees to pray, but there needs to be a humility in our minds and a, and a desire to unite with others in prayer and to set aside any differences that we have in order to be able to find commonality in prayer. So the reason Paul prayed was to bring unity, and the way he prayed was humbly before the Lord. To whom did he pray? He says in verse 14, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and earth derives its name. Now, Father, that word brings a, a negative aspect to some people if they've had a bad father. They, they have fear because their father's been angry, their father's been hurtful to them. But we should have a reverential awe before we go to our Father. Uh, he is the one who is the, our head, and He is the one who is the leader of our church family. And, and we, want to, we want to have a reverential awe. He is our Father by creation. He's our Father by the new birth. He sits on a throne. But remember now, it's a, it's a throne of grace where we can go to find help in time of need. He's called our Abba, our Father. Our, he's a good Father. He is a loving Father. And, and as the Father who sits on a throne, He's also the Sovereign Father who can give us everything that we need. And like any other good Father, He loves to hear our prayers. Today is my birthday. I got a greeting this morning from my grandson and from my daughter. And I loved it. I got to hear from them. And uh, that's the way it should be with us. God loves to hear from us. He loves to hear our voice. He loves that we should take time to express our love and appreciation and share our concerns with him. So the reason Paul prayed was to bring unity. The way he prayed was humbly. And then he prayed to the Father. He prayed to the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray in Jesus' name. That's how we gain access to the Father. And for what did Paul pray? In verses 14 and 16, for this reason I bow my knees before the Father. Verse 16, why? That he would grant you some things. He, he prayed and asked for some things. I, I think Pastor may have told a story. I may have told a story. I don't know, but I heard about a man who just prayed, and he prayed about the flowers and the hills and the valleys and the mountains and the blue sky and the birds in the sky and, and everything else and went around and around and around, and some little boy finally said, Mister, ask him for something. And then uh, uh, the man came to the close of his prayer. Uh, Paul prayed for some very special things for the church at Ephesus, and also for us. He prayed these things for us. And he prayed for strength from God. He prayed for submission to Christ's headship. He prayed for a comprehension of Christ's love. He prayed for growth in godliness. And we'll look at those things now. Let's take a look at the things for what Paul prayed. What was it that he was asking God for, for the church at Ephesus? Strength from God. 
Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 to 21, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and earth derives his name, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in the inner man. You know, it's real easy to get weary in well-doing. We can look at our schedules, we can look at all the activities around us, we can say, I am just too tired to do this. But, you know, I know even tonight, I was telling my wife, I'm way up here, you know, I'm tired. But there's something that happens when we pray, and God gives this inner strength, and I'm able to then be able to teach and preach, and I'm able to then minister to other people, and you are able to, too. We go to the Lord, and He gives us that inner strength to continue. It starts inside our souls, and He gives us what we need to be strong in the Lord and to accomplish His purpose. How wonderful it is to know that when we go to our Father, the Sovereign Father who has all of the strength that is needed and all of the wealth that is needed, all the riches in His glory that are needed to give us the strength that we need to minister as we should as a church and individually. Dean Taylor says this, God is an infinite being. His perfect character is eternal and His resources are endless. Out of His perfect character and endless resources, he supplies us with the strength that we need. In John chapter 15, verse 5, Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me, and I in him, he bears much fruit. From apart from, for apart from me, ye can do nothing. But then we know that if we do abide with the Lord, and we walk with the Lord, and we go to him in prayer, uh, we can have everything that we need. Verse 7 says, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, will ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. John 15, verse 7. Philippians chapter 4, verse 13, the Apostle Paul was going through a lot of difficulties. And he learned how to be content and all of that sort of thing. But he did say this in Ephesians 4, 13, I can do all things through Christ, or Him, who strengthens me. That's what prayer is for. We go there. For strength. Paul prayed for the church that they would be strong when he prayed in corporate prayer. That's what we need to be praying for in our church, for strength to minister in the will of God. We need to pray for submission to Christ's headship. Verse three, chapter, Ephesians chapter 3 verse 14 says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, verse 17, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Again, objectively, the minute that we accept Jesus Christ as Savior, we are His, and He lives, He dwells within us. He lives within us. But sometimes I think we treat Him like a visitor. He kind of can come in, you can stay here for a while, but you go in that room, and we want the rest of the house for ourselves. But when we are allowing the Lord to really dwell in our hearts, it's to make himself at home. Dean uses the illustration. He says, I used to rent a place. And when I rented a place, I didn't do much painting on the walls. It wasn't my house. I didn't rip up the carpets. I didn't do a lot of, a lot of changing of the floor plan. They said, later on, I bought my own house. And then we did do some ripping up. And we did do some tearing down. And we did some moving around. And we made it ours. We took control of that house. And it became ours. If we visit someone's home, we don't do those things. I'm visiting in the, in the Kelly's home. I'm not going to be moving any furniture unless they tell me to. But down in my house, I go back over there, I can do what I want in there. And we've done some things in there, and I'm thankful for what we are able to do. Now, if the Lord lives in us, He dwells in us, He has complete reign in our lives. 
He has complete reign in our church. He's the one who tells our church how we should act. He tells our church what we should do. He's the one who gives us direction. He's the one who sets the pace. Dean says this, When Christ owns your heart, he is in complete control of your thoughts, decisions, imaginations, plans, concerns, priorities, emotions, desires, and ambitions. His character, will, and passion determine everything about you. That's what we need personally, but we need that for our church. Our church needs to be so in tune with the Lord that he has free reign in our church. We need to be praying for that. It takes faith for Christ. Our faith to trust Christ enough to let him move in and take over. It takes faith to do that. But when it does happen, it's a wonderful thing that happens in a church. There's a modern hymn that's based on an old prayer that conveys this very well. It says, O great God of highest heaven, occupy my lowly heart. Own it all and reign supreme. Conquer every rebel power. Let no vice or sin remain that resists your holy war. You have loved and purchased me. Make me yours forevermore. We need that in our own hearts personally. We need that in our church as well. A submission to Christ's headship. Thirdly, we need, when Paul Paul's prayed for the church, that they would have a comprehension of Christ's love. You know, it's real easy to... Give your heart to a, Lord, to a God that you know loves you. It's real easy to allow someone you love you, who loves you, to, to have their way in your life. In Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, verse 17, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge. Oh, when a church gets a real understanding of how much God loves them, it's real easy to get together and pray. And the notes here, I have a picture that took place here just this last Saturday when a group of men got together at our church. And in love, we went to our Lord and we, we sought his face and we want what was best for our church, for our families, for us as individuals. That's what corporate prayer is all about, expressing our love and understanding how much Christ loves us. And we can trust the God who loves us this much. That kind of love that we have in the church originates with God himself. In John, 1 John chapter 4, verse 18 and 19, it says, There's no fear in love. You don't fear a father that you love. But perfect love casts out fear. Because fear involves punishment. And the one who fears is not perfected in love. If you go to God and you're afraid of him, you don't understand how much he loves you. Verse 19 says, we love because he first loved us. He loved us in salvation by providing salvation. Romans 5.8, God demonstrated his love toward us. And that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And then we learn more about his love as we grow in him and as we become acquainted with him. 1 John chapter 2, verse 5 and 6 says, whoever keeps his word... In him, the love of God is truly been, has truly been perfected. By this we know that we are in him. The one who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk the same manner as he walked. The more you walk with the Lord, the more that you understand the love of the Lord, it's easier, the more easier it is to walk with him. And then finally, Paul prayed in verses, verse, uh, verse 19, a prayer for growth in godliness in the church. Verse 19, that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. Oh, we need to be praying that our church is a God-like church, a Christ-like church, a church that becomes so much like him. 
on this side of heaven, we may get older, but we will not necessarily attain to that fullness here on this earth. But we need to be working towards that. We need to be asking God to give it to us. Asking God to give us the maturity that gives, makes us effective and, and powerful witnesses and powerful ministers for him. Make us effective in a community because we have become more and more like him. And when we get to that point, there's a, there's a wonderful promise that is at the end of this prayer in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. It says, Now to him, in verse 20, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly, beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. When we have grown in strength and we have grown in an understanding of his love and we become submissive to the Lord, when we become willing to let him dwell in our hearts, we are blessed. But more importantly, God is glorified. And when God is glorified, we're blessed. And when God is glorified, people are drawn to him. When God is glorified, the lost are saved. When God is glorified, we grow because we see how much more we need to be like him. What a wonderful thing it is for us to get together for corporate prayer. What a wonderful thing it is for us to pray together. Don't make up your mind right now that you will not allow your mind to wander the next time someone stands up to pray for the church. Make up your mind that the next time there's a prayer meeting that you'll be a part of it if you're able. And that you will join your hearts together with other believers in our local church. For the spiritual emphasis, not just the aches and the pains. We need to be united to the Lord, the head of our church, through prayer. We need that joint that is so important between the head and the rest of the body. Dean Taylor says this, What better way for the body of Christ to develop and maintain its vital connection to the head, Jesus Christ, than through corporate prayer? And what more significant request could we make than the ones Paul prayed in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14 through 21. We can pray for the aches and pains, but let's pray for the big things, the glory of God, and more opportunities to be like Him and to minister for Him. Have you been joined together in Christ? You can't be unless, first of all, you're saved. You can't be a part of the body of Christ. It's just impossible. You have to be born again. No good works that you do are going to do it. You're not going to become a Christian by walking into a church. You don't turn into a car when you walk into a garage, do you? And you don't become a Christian when you walk into church. You need to be born again. You need to be born into God's family. And if you have been born into God's family, are you growing in this matter of prayer? Are you growing? And are you actively involved in your local church? Have you joined your church? You should join it. Become a part of it. Vote on things. Be involved in it in such a way that it is your church and you're not just a visitor there. You belong as a part of the thing. And you can help it to accomplish its, its mission. We need your gifts. We need your input. We need everyone to participate in this. And the best way to do that is by, by being born again and then joining a local church. Get baptized and get involved. God is glorified when we do that. It's a wonderful thing when there's unity in a local church. It's a wonderful thing when we serve together. That's how we know we are growing. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 14 and 15 are kind of keys to this whole thing of growth.
We're no longer to be tossed, to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we're to grow up in all aspects unto him who is the head, even Christ. We're to become connected to the Lord. And Ephesians chapter 4 verse 13 says that we're to do this until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. Are you growing? Are you growing with your local church to become more like the Master? Let's close with a word of prayer. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you that it speaks to our hearts. Sometimes it brings conviction to us. It helps us to see things that need to change in our lives. Sometimes it points out things that are just not right. And, and we pray, Lord, that you help us to be humble enough to accept those things. Help us to be willing to tell others what they need to hear in love so that they can truly become a part of what you would have them to be. And Lord, I pray that you help us to become more like the Lord Jesus Christ. Be with those who have not yet accepted him as their Savior. Bring them to the place of repentance. Help them to see that they are a sinner in great need. And then draw them to yourself and help them to call upon your name to be saved. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.